Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And wouldn't you know, John, I was all set to interview my friend, the Aussie Rules football expert, and write an article about how to bet the sport and uh, start to turn myself into an Aussie Rules football fan. And then on Sunday, the Aussie Rules League decided to shut down competition. I'm not sure where to turn, John, uh, but at least I have uh, FanDuel's weekly Survivor Fantasy games. Uh, Are you finding uh, any sort of a sports gambling fix at the moment? And how jealous are you that this coronavirus situation came along during Survivor season and not Bachelor season? Oh, yes, my guilty pleasure. Um, (laughs) You know, I hated this Bachelor season. Uh, Even more, I hate that I read that the show had the highest ratings in four years. Mm. I mean, it's thanks to all the cheesy gimmicks, and they had a star who could wind up in a flop sweat at a lunch spot if he's asked, do you want Coke or Pepsi? Um, (laughs) But that seems to work for the the ladies, I guess. Um, So it's even money or better that I'll despise the next season just as much as now. Uh, But then again, as you mentioned, I, I think I would have had the final four this year pegged exactly from about mm-hmm. week two. Uh, and I had the one he actually proposed to, which I think would have cashed, even though he never followed up much after the ring offering and, and she accepted it. But I think I still would have had a winner there. Um, today I see uh, he's supposedly out and about. There's a lawyer from Chicago who he had canoodled with. That's a New York Post page six word, by the way. Yep. Uh, he had canoodled with even before the show began. Um, I'd have had action on that long term result as well. Um, He's spotting her about 75 IQ points, uh, and I think that threw him off the scent for a while, but she seemed to uh, uh, be humored by him anyway, and uh, he's handsome enough, I suppose. Um, and I've never been one for these free-to-play contests. It's like uh, – that's, that's like a marketing psychology thing. If it's free, you don't value it. You know, you have to, to pay for it. Um, but I'd be interested in seeing if I could decipher the clues from like a social distancing season of Bachelor also. Um, mm. It reminds me of the – I was always amazed at first that uh, professional poker players adapt from seeing my minor tells on amateurs at a table, and then they sniff them out in online poker too. I would want to see if I could do that um, with The Bachelor. Um, now, how's Survivor working for you, uh, keeping you sane, Eric? And how many <laughs> more weeks are, they, are there left of that? I have no idea. Uh, well, there are. Let's see. We're down to 11. Kind of doing the quick math in my head. I'm guessing there are about six or seven more weeks of this season. But, uh, you know, it's, it's weird because it's, you know, it's single week fantasy. So you're just... Uh, scoring points based on things that happen in that one episode. Whereas what you were describing, you would have done great in a season-long Bachelor League, pegging the final four early on. Uh, oh, they're but, out there, I'm sure. They're right. And, well, that's <laughs> the thing is the spoilers. That's that's really the key thing is that, uh, and that's what's kind of ruining the Survivor thing. You know, Reddit threads have potential spoilers, and based on listening to the Roto-Grinders podcast about Survivor the last two weeks, they've been pretty accurate uh, with these spoilers. Um, so I'm not going to listen to those podcasts before the show anymore because I don't like spoilers so um you know you still have to make good educated guesses beyond the spoilers to build the best lineups but uh i don't know i I, i'm definitely at a disadvantage in survivor fantasy going forward if i ignore the spoilers um you were just saying you know the free to enter kind of takes something out of it and it does but in a case like this where i don't want to do the spoilers uh, i'm only going to play if it's free to enter Mm, Uh, so you know that's where we are it's something it's something to do for uh 10 minutes on a wednesday build a lineup and uh, give myself a little sweat (laughs) all right good for you (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 84 of gamble on if you missed any of our previous 83 episodes they're all available on soundcloud itunes apple Podcasts, and spotify please subscribe rate review and periodically disinfect the phone you're listening on uh indeed eric uh and coming up a little later on the show we're going to be joined by eilers and kreitschik gaming senior consultant alan bowden uh he lives in the uk he's an expert on the european gambling markets but he's also been watching the u.s market closely so we'll get uh, a special insight there um we'll get his thoughts on the coronavirus shutdown obviously and how that's impacting gaming companies and some of the differences between the american and european approaches to and they're really attitudes on gambling in general uh but first it's been another pretty busy news week in the world of gambling so let's get to it here's your gamble on news of the week an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling There's no way around it. A fair bit of the news segment on our podcast this week will again be COVID-19 related. And we start with the news that as of this Tuesday, every single commercial casino in the U.S. is now closed. Uh, And at last report, at least 97 percent of tribal casinos are, too. And most of the holdouts are Native American convenience stores with gaming machines. Among the last commercial casinos to close were several in the town of Deadwood, South Dakota, 
And our colleague Brian Pempis got the quote of the week on Monday when he reached out to the 777 Casino and was told they, quote, don't plan on closing unless something major happens. Uh, Apparently news travels slowly around Deadwood. Uh, But uh, by Monday night, possibly influenced by Brian's article uh, getting out there, the mayor of Deadwood pleaded with the casinos to close. And they did. Uh, A few days before that happened, last Friday, the AGA released some sobering numbers, including that 616,000 casino employees can't work right now. Nearly $74 billion in total annual income is at risk. And eight weeks of closures, uh, which is perhaps a conservative estimate, uh, eight weeks will prevent $43.5 billion of economic activity. Uh, John, I know you took a trip to Atlantic City last week and saw what a casino town with no casinos looks like. Uh, So talk to me about that, the Deadwood situation, the AGA's numbers, and anything else you might have to say about these temporary casino closings. Well, just this morning, I see AGA seems pretty encouraged by this thousand page uh, bill that passed unanimously in the Senate. Um, So there must be something in there, if not specific to them, at least uh, uh, on a grand enough scale to help out a lot of the employees are talking about 616,000. That's amazing. Um, So that could be uh, soothing for the industry. I think um, the sooner, obviously, people at risk get the information about their uh, economic status, the better. Um, but yeah, I swung down to Atlantic City uh, last week. Um, should have been the first day to 64-team March Madness bracket. Uh, I was there last year for the big weekend one, and it was just quite an adrenaline rush. Even if I didn't have a big stake in any action, it's just, you know, I mean, anybody's been to Las Vegas knows exactly what it is, and it's even a bigger scale out there. Right. Um, you know, but with all the AC casinos closed a few days earlier and the entire state in a pretty extensive lockdown, um, even so, the fabled boardwalk was even more desolate than I expected for some reason. Um, uh, I, I don't know why I expected better, but um, you know, I estimated like fewer than two living souls per city block. Um, you know, social distancing was a breeze, and that's important. So right. um, that's why I talked about double-edged sword. The fewer the people I saw, the more gloomy it looked in the moment and then the better long-term it's going to be. Um, although we ran a photo I took of a Suvlaki place that has three exclamation points after it's proud, never closed overhead sign. <laughs> right. And even that was closed. That was, that was tough to look at. Um, and the few places that were open just had bored shopkeepers, I think who had nothing else to do and weren't really getting any business. Um, on the grander scale, I, I think, you know, we're all still digesting what this does to the national casino scene, uh, specifically Las Vegas. Uh, I see when casinos are saying they're going to still pay their bartenders and wait, staff their their typical overall pay including tips um this is going to be a business school one-on-one lesson in a few years about you know which companies were wiser from a financial standpoint those who shelled out a lot of money to employees in the hopes of having them remain loyal or those who kind of kept to a balance sheet and um you know lost some loyalty lost some employees might have made extra money um you know on the on a bottom line scale it's going to be interesting to see which one comes out better um and finally for deadwood um I'm fairly confident, with no offense to their tourism bureau there um, in South Dakota, that their tourist traffic in March from New York City, Seattle, New Orleans, you know, northern Italy, see Spain, China, is probably not so massive as to bring grave risks to that Mount Rushmore state. Hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm not sure I have a, a whole lot to add here. Uh, certainly the idea of Vegas and Atlantic City as ghost towns is depressing, but no more so than seeing pictures of Times Square in New York and, and other major hubs of activity as ghost towns. Um, you know, th- this is the way that it is right now. A, a lot of people are, are hurting financially or, or will be soon, uh, but that's the sacrifice we have to make to try to save lives and to try not to overwhelm the healthcare system. There is no good outcome to all this. You just strive for the least bad outcome. Um, I'm glad Certainly the Deadwood came to its senses if a few days later than it should have. Casinos are an absolutely impossible place to keep open without spreading the virus. Just what an inane quote, unless something major happens. I I feel like a meteor could land on Deadwood and that guy would still be telling us he's prepared to act as soon as something major happens. Well, I'll tell you uh, for a context. um... Uh, right around 9-11, I was, I was supposed to be going on a, a vacation to uh, Curacao, of all places, and needless to say, the flights were canceled, and right. President Bush at the time said, you know, consider traveling d- domestically, at least kind of, you know, try and keep the economy going and all that, if, if you're if you're in a position to do so, and, and so on and so forth. So um, we took our flight from Newark to uh, um, Palm Springs, California, mm-hmm. and this is only, you know, maybe a week later, and... Um, 
it's like 9-11 never happened out there. It's 3,000 miles away, and they saw the news, but um, they didn't relate to it like those of us in the New York City area did. And it's just, um, you know, it's, it's just how it is. So um, I guess I'm mildly defending people in South Dakota because uh, uh, it's it's just the whole thing is inconceivable to them. They're they're used to being very insulated from all this stuff, and so they probably figured, well, this doesn't include us. So uh, I, I can somewhat understand their situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can I get that about Deadwood that the, or, you know, any place where the virus hasn't really hit yet, or at least that they don't know that it's hit yet. You sort of I understand that state of denial until it happens. But uh, you just got it. You got to read the news about what's going on elsewhere and realize that it's it's coming. And uh, the the sooner you take the proper steps, the 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 less bad it's going to be but uh yeah i'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure they have internet there by now <laughs> i would hope so <laughs> all right uh well while the news has been truly awful for these land-based casinos those states that allow online casino games and online poker are as one might expect seeing major surges in activity uh, specifically in pennsylvania the rush street sites told pen bets that they were seeing four to five times as many new online casino customers as they would normally expect this time of year. And FanDuel reported a similar jump in casino players. Meanwhile, on the poker side, there's only one site in Pennsylvania at the moment, Poker Stars, uh, but its numbers are through the roof. As I observed for a Penn Bets article, the numbers are strong, not just during the traditional peak hours, but all day long, really, with poker players now home all day and looking for entertainment. The typical peak poker stars traffic in Pennsylvania has been between 1,000 and 1,500 players at a time the last couple of months, but now the site is hitting those numbers around one or two in the afternoon and then continuing to climb until peaking at over 3,000 around 9 p.m. In New Jersey, nobody has done as close a study of the numbers that I've seen, but clearly action is up. Poker tournament prize pools are setting new records, and that's true globally with uh, overseas sites like GG Poker raising their guarantees and the poker star Sunday million attracting a record prize pool in excess of $18 million. Wow. John, any thoughts on this uptick in online casino and poker play? And what do you feel these sites should be doing to ensure this isn't just a temporary gain that goes away when the world returns to normal? Uh, yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, I think the rise in activity that would induce on the fence legislators in other states, they want to legalize online poker because working out a compact with New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Nevada would really allow their residents to see strong liquidity right off the bat. So uh, they wouldn't have this uh, years-long slog like other states have had. Um, and then the state would avoid settling for you know years of like $2 million monthly revenue, which is uh, what New Jersey's doing. So uh, that makes sense, but they're Legislators are kind of otherwise occupied right now, so right. that's not going to happen. Um, maybe a silver lining is drawing sports bettors into online poker, either more so or for the first time. And again, if they sort of join en masse without even realizing it, they're going to be the ones that produce the um, the, envi the poker environment that makes it appealing for everyone else because they're then you're going to have enough liquidity. So, right. uh, but I, I think what will last is online casino play in the few states that allow it, such as our New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Um, it's mostly a mystery to me why someone would want to play virtual slots with no one to high five after the big jackpot, but <laughs> uh, the numbers don't lie. So I, I look for that to continue unabated. Um, there's been an, just an incredible double digit monthly increase in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And it's really uh, consumer awareness. The number of people in the state who understand this is perfectly legal and here's where you go and it's regulated and safe. Um, and so that, that is, was going to continue to rise anyway, but I think it's going to be uh, accelerated a bit because of this. So um, uh, that's going to be good news for those companies, especially the ones, as you note, that they're maybe also involved in sports betting. So they're getting crushed there and they're going to get a little bit of consolation back on this end. Interesting analysis. Uh, I kind of I lean the other way in terms of the the balance of where it's going to what's going to stick between online casino and online poker, in part because I saw a tweet from our upcoming guest, Alan Bowden, uh, noting that uh, given the state of the economy and job loss and, and people mostly seeking only to spend on essentials for a mm. while, uh, there are limits to how long the online boost can last and, and a bit of a cap maybe on, on how big it can be at mm. its peak. So uh, that's something to watch for. And I feel like it's more of an issue with online casino than online poker, just because it's it's easy to lose quickly in online yeah. casino and not want to redeposit under the current circumstances. Mm -hmm. At least with poker, 
some people do win and a lot of people who lose lose slowly so you know I, I would kind of expect that we won't see huge growth from here, from this point that we're at right now, that this initial mm-hmm. spike, we might already be kind of close to the peak of where the industry is going during this crisis. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, just to hit on something that, that you noted last week, come back around to it, it's really important. We have to be extra aware of problem gambling, um, you know, people in financial trouble thinking that playing online slots is their way out of it, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, it will be for one in every few thousand. But, if, yeah. you know, it's a dangerous road to go down for a lot of people. So we, again, urge everyone, uh, you know, gambling online during this time for entertainment is wonderful. Gambling online during this time with the expectation that you'll win is not recommended. Uh, yeah, and everybody's financial situation is different. I mean, if you still have a job, and if you know you still have a job, and if you have you know plenty of money set aside, I mean, that forty four percent of households would have trouble meeting an unexpected four hundred dollar bill or something. Um, it's a crazy number. Um, yeah. So unless you have that reserve, yeah, you you got to be uh, extra careful with this. Uh, you know, most people do do figure it out though. Right. Yeah. The great majority gamble responsibly, uh, but uh, definitely have to keep in mind those those who don't. And uh, this is certainly a time where we could see that tick up. So just something to watch for. And uh, certainly if you're one of those people who doesn't have uh, proper discipline and impulse control, you know, consult consult with the, the right people. And uh, there are always helplines and, and so forth. Uh, mm-hmm. So we've done our due diligence on that front now. I think. Agreed. <laughs> All right. Uh, our final story is also Poker Stars related, uh, but it's a much more negative story for the company. The 73-year-old founder of Poker Stars, Issei Scheinberg, who was charged by the U.S. Department of Justice uh, back on Black Friday, April 15th, 2011, with operating an illegal gambling business, finally pled guilty to the charge on Wednesday and now faces a maximum of five years in prison. He'll be sentenced at a later date. Poker Stars began serving U.S. customers back in 2001 and continued to after the passage of the UIGEA in 2006 and grew into the number one poker site in the world, but finally stopped letting Americans play on Black Friday and Scheidenberg remained abroad ever since. His decision to plead guilty wasn't exactly voluntary. He traveled to Switzerland last June, where he was apprehended and soon extradited to the U.S. Some have said this is the final chapter of the Black Friday saga. It should be noted that many in the poker community consider Scheinberg an icon and believe he should be in the Poker Hall of Fame. I'm not sure whether this hurts his chances of that ever happening. I would think it might. Um, Anyway, John, uh, this news nearly got lost in all the constant COVID-19 coverage. And maybe that's how it should be. Uh, Part of me feels like it's a real waste of time and energy uh, and frankly dangerous to gather people together to sentence Scheinberg and deal with a victimless crime from a decade ago. Uh, What do you think, John? Is it worth it to lock Scheinberg up right now? And do you expect he will serve anything close to that five-year maximum? Yeah, you know, seeing this topic, uh, first I had to make sure I didn't hallucinate that I wrote about all, all this back in 2012, 13, and right. including a $50 million settlement by Scheinberg's son that seemed to boost PokerStars' chances of getting in on the just-approved online poker in New Jersey, which started in 2013. And uh, uh, there's a PokerStars effort to buy a dying Atlantic Club casino. And, oh, right. Uh, forgot about that. And, yeah. well, you know what else I forgot? The casino's owner at the time were the same ones, Colony Capital, who previously had owned the ill-fated Meadowlands Xanadu Project, mm-hmm. whose successor American Dream Meadowlands couldn't quite pull off last week's scheduled opening of its mega mall and even worse if that's possible uh, indoor water park that's yeah <laughs> timing is everything um but this guilty plea is complicated for me too um you know brazenly thumbing your nose at u.s law even if tempting because the federal government was pretty ineffectual about online poker at the time uh, you know not much to celebrate for me i'm not putting them in any hall of fame um but the landscape really was murky too and the product he offered soon became legal in three states and eventually will be in a bunch more uh so now he won't get five years, but I think we can't just give a multi-year fugitives a slap on the wrist either. Right. I'm, I'm feeling like house arrest for most nonviolent offenders probably yeah. makes a lot of sense right now. Um, yeah. I don't want to get into what's reportedly going on with the virus in prisons, but it's bad yeah. news. Um, but yeah, th- this all goes back to a horrible, disgraceful law from 2006 snuck onto a must-pass, completely unrelated port security bill at the 11th hour. Uh, Most of the politicians voting on it 
admitted afterwards they didn't even know it was in there. Uh, And you used the word murky, the language left poker, which is a partial skill game in sort of a murky gray area. Uh, You can debate whether poker stars, full tilt, ultimate bet, whether they were all foolish to keep operating in the U.S. Um, But, you know, the, the whole problem for Scheinberg started with just a BS political move to shut down online poker instead of regulating and taxing online poker Uh, and all these years later there are only four states that have it it suggests to me that the government's approach starting in 2006 was not the best one for the country so i'm not exactly defending scheinberg i agree he you know he thumbed his his nose at the rules and uh and and so i'm not totally defending him but i'll at least defend him if it's him versus uh bill frist for who's the real villain here i'll go that far (laughs) yeah well it's i think objectively uh noted by you about the circumstances of that 2006 law it, right. you know uh, the people who voted for it didn't know what they were voting for and in many cases didn't care and um, right. it's kind of been caught up and uh, it reminds me a little bit of New Hampshire lottery now and uh, uh, this latest administration they have their own uh, Department of Justice issuing their own sort of mystifying orders and uh, um, it's just you know gambling is not quite important enough to be at the forefront uh, in Congress but it's also just big enough that there are lobbyists who who have agendas who can get things done to their to their liking and that's just uh, it's politics yep it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling let's get to the gamble on interview It should go without saying that the coronavirus situation has been and will continue to be bad for the financial health of large swaths of the gaming industry. But the question is, how bad? And are there some online companies that are benefiting? Uh, Joining us now to help analyze the situation globally is Alan Bowden, a senior consultant focusing on European markets for the gambling and research firm Eilers and Krychik Gaming. Alan, thanks for joining us on Gamble On. No problem. Pleasure to be here. So uh, companies that are more diversified in their online gaming options with online casino or poker to go along with sports betting, they're obviously better situated to weather the storm than sports betting only companies. I'm curious, do you have a sense of how long a shutdown of sports some of those online sports books can endure before we start hearing bad news about mass layoffs and, and some of those companies going out of business? Yeah, I mean, it's a really tricky question to answer because as with as with everything with sports betting, the answer is always it depends. Mm-hmm. And there's a ton of variables to weigh up around this. The most important one, though, obviously, is the balance sheet, how much cash at hand these companies have um, and kind of what measures they need to do to protect themselves against that. What you've seen over the last three, four, five years in the sector is debt's been super cheap. Um, the pressures for scale has been super intense from both investors and the kind of and the wider market so you've seen people kind of levered themselves up you know borrowed get got large amounts of debt borrowed large amounts of money made some big acquisitions which you know in the conditions that they were in were smart moves debt was cheap companies uh, potentially undervalued they could add value to them you know you've seen some some mega merger giants emerge as a result of this um but you know that's now put you in a in a tricky spot you know when cash flow dries up when your cash in hand is maybe not as as fulsome as you'd like when you have a lot of debt to service. Um, it's, it's a tricky spot to be in. I'm not going to be calling out companies by name. It's, you know, it'd be deeply inappropriate to do so, you know, when right. it's, there's, there's so much going on. But I mean, you can just take a look around your, yourself. I mean, there's there's certain companies whose balance sheet looks a lot, a lot more steady than others. I mean, if you take an example from the private sector over in Europe, Bet365, a company I'm sure you're uh, starting to become aware of over there. Yes. Um, you know, they came out and announced that they were safeguarding everybody's jobs for five months. You know, everyone's going to get paid. There's no problems there at all. And they're heavily, heavily sports betting weighted. You know, it's sort of 80, 80% plus sports betting weighted generally. Um, so, you know, this, this is not a company that's going to be rolling in money for the, for the short term. But, you know, they, they safeguarded everyone's jobs for five months. Big statement about that. But, you know, you look at their balance sheet, they have 2.7 billion pounds of cash at hand. Hmm. Um, so, you know, they're in a pretty stable position. They can weather a fair few storms. Um, there's some other ships out there that kind of look a little bit more rickety. 
like I said, it's tempting to point at companies in particular, but you know, that's not something I, w- I want to do. We don't, at Islands and Crochet, we don't make buy or sell recommendations. That's not what we do as a company. We just kind of take a, you know, a, a holistic view to take a look at the industry, analyze kind of strengths and weaknesses and, and point out um, trends to follow and things like that. So, you know, professionally, it wouldn't be wise. And, and personally, it wouldn't be wise. You know, these are people's jobs. These are, these are um, you know, livelihoods at stake. You know, I, I don't want to add to any sort of panic selling or any froth that there is in the market around these things. But, you know, you can look at some companies right now and and they don't look in the most stable of, of conditions. They don't look like they can potentially maybe weather too big a storm. Um, so, and it really is just that. It's that cash burn. Companies that are really heavily sports weighted, um, that are very heavily retail rate weighted, because, you know, the online is definitely got more more life in it. But, you know, if you shut a sports book down, you shut a sports book down, there's, there's no revenue coming in. Right. Um, you know, there's so, you know, heavily, heavily sports weighted, heavily retail weighted, um, you know, and heavily levered, you know, with a lot of debt on the balance sheet and, and, and not huge cash reserves um, and big staff. You know, these, these are tricky spots to get through. I mean, the, the industry uh, will come out of this the other side. Absolutely. Um, and it's a question of just, you know, sort of hunkering down and, and getting through this. But, um, yeah, you it wouldn't take a huge amount of research for anyone to see, see the ones that look like they're in the most trouble. So the question then shifts to just, you know, how long is this situation going to last? How long is there going to be effectively no sport? Um, yeah, there's, that is just incredibly difficult to call because these are decisions that are, you know, not even in anyone's ability to model right now. No one really knows, you know, what this virus is going to do from here, how it's going to impact um, various countries around the world, how it's going to impact the US, how it's going to impact, you know, Canada, wherever, you know, there's, it's really difficult to say. So it's, I think you're just going to have to take a really kind of, maybe not day by day, but week by week perspective on this. Right. You know, things are going to change uh, quickly in, in, in various different directions. And I think you, a position you hold now, uh, you know, whether that is a a position in the sense of holding a stock or a position in the sense of an opinion or however you want to phrase it, the position you hold now is probably going to look really different in a week's time. And then it's going to look really different in a week's a week after that. Um, and I think you just need to be kind of quite sort of agile and willing to change, change your opinion and willing to adjust with the changing conditions in, in, in this market. And the companies themselves are going to have to do that. So if, if some of them find themselves in a position where, you know, the, revenue stream just looks like it's not going to come back for a long, long time. Um, they're going to have to make some tough decisions. Yeah, no, there's there's yeah. there's obviously a, a ton of uncertainty in all of it. And that is uh, about as detailed and specific an answer as I hoped for or, 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 or could have expected. I certainly don't need you to go into detail <laughs> that's, that's, on which companies pol- are in trouble. But, you know, that's yeah. such a polite way of saying rambling, Eric. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, Alan, I want to ask you about, um, you know, there's such a mature market in the in Europe and, and for sports betting dollar, uh, particularly in the UK. And uh, I'm curious, like what the level of competition there is now, you know, in that mature market market and you know was the reason to expect even aside from this pandemic uh, was the reason to expect that the US market would eventually follow that same pattern or is there something about the the culture or the industry here that is going to lend itself to more or less uh, you know number of competitors and size of competitors and that sort of thing yeah i mean when things return back to normal i assume is what you mean um yeah i mean the US is is a unique market and will remain a unique market for for a number of reasons uh you know culturally uh for legislative reasons for regulatory reasons um it's it will i don't think it will resemble any other market in the world um identically i think it it will have sort of really unique drivers um and and a really kind of unique structure to it that said there's definitely lessons you can take from overseas in the way that those markets have developed and then in kind of give you a proxy for how the u.s might might emerge i mean you look at some of the kind of major European sports betting markets, you look at the UK, you look at Italy, and they're just really wide open markets. You know, you have dozens of licensees. Um, you have, you know, a, a thousands of retail stores on every kind of high street um, in Italy or the, or the UK and every town. Um, you know, sports betting is kind of really, you know, enmeshed in the kind of day to day culture of these of these countries. So, so will you have the same situation in the U.S.? 
I think it's unlikely simply because you're not going to have that volume of 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 um, operators. You're not going to have that many betting brands, you know, constantly visible. You know, you walk past them in the street; they're just there. They're part of your day-to-day life. But equally, you'll have this huge long tail of smaller companies that that exist as well. Who take, you know, fairly not meaningful, but you know, they take a little bit of market share. You know, they take a, you know 0.5 percent or whatever, and it, it all adds up to a decent amount at the end of the day. Um, the, I think the US is going to be much more focused on a, on a few big brands. It's going to be much more led by the land-based casinos and, and, and racetracks and, and people who, who basically hold the keys to the access to those markets. You talk a lot about market access in the US. That's not really an issue in Italy or the UK. You know, Generally, you, you just apply for a license or at the worst case, you buy a small company um, and they get their license that way and enter the market. It's pretty market access entry is pretty easy in Europe generally. Not in every market. There are some markets where it's very hard, um, but they're not generally the really large ones. So it's 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 generally relatively straightforward. Um, that all said, what you normally end up with is five or six big companies anyway. The the mm. the way the market trends is is you end up with you know four, five, six, seven maybe. Um, you know, substantial sports betting operators because you know it's a kind of a virtuous circle. You know, they're they're the ones who built a good product initially, so people come to them, so they learn how to give a good customer experience, so they invest more in that product, invest more in that customer experience, they invest more in their odds and in their promotions, and you know, there's no reason to go anywhere else. Um, you know, I've been betting sports for 20 years or more, even. Um, you know, I used to have. I used to have 20 accounts maybe in the UK and go all the time. I've now got two apps. I won't say who they are, but I've got two apps that I use yeah. like 90, 90% of the time and they're on my home screen and the rest I use hardly ever. And that really is trending. The you know Mobile has, has kind of pushed it that way. That that really is the way the market is trending generally. You know, you have a, you have a, a couple of big sites that you use because they give you everything you need. Um, and then there's there's the rest, and you kind of pick off specific prices or, or for specific needs at those, or you know great promotions or whatever you want to you want to dip in and out of those. And I think most markets tend that way. They're, I think the U.S. will probably have it won't remain a duopoly, a FanDuel, DraftKings duopoly. I mean, maybe it will. I very much doubt it will. I, I just can't. That that seems an unsustainable level of market share dominance right now. Um, but neither do I think it'll develop us into a kind of, you know, dozens of brands and and, and a huge and, and competition in that sense. But the competition will be really intense because it will be a, a handful of really well capitalized, really mm. smart, you know, strong product, good tech, you know, really strongly, deeply competitive brands who are fighting out for market share, who are kind of really offering a pretty similar user experience um, to the customers. And that's kind of great for everybody because, you know, you, mm. you get you, you still get choice, but you still get that kind of reinvestment in product and reinvestment in customer experience. So you kind of get the, the best of both worlds, really, is, 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 is the situation you're going to end up. And I think that's, that's very much the way that the U.S. market is going to trend, not even long term, kind of midterm, you know, the next sort of three to five years. Mm. Um, so I'm just curious, um, you, you mentioned you have been a sports better for 20 years or so, uh, Alan, uh, just on a, on a, on a personal level, uh, at this point early in this crisis, we're all going through, how much are, are you missing watching sports and, and betting sports? Is it, uh, has it, has it started to get to you yet uh, at this early stage? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, a little bit. I, I am. Um... Yeah, you know, we had so we had we just came off the Cheltenham Festival, which is this big horse racing festival in the UK. It's one of the biggest betting events of the year. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of analogous to to like a one week March Madness. Everyone just goes nuts mm. um, for for a week betting on on racing. Um, so we kind of just come out of that. So I kind of had my my fill there. <laughs> so okay. taking taking a little break kind of feels good. But you sort of look into the into the near distance and you think. Wow, there's, there's going to be no sport. There's going to be nothing to bet on. There's going to be, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, the, betting, betting is entertainment generally. It's it's fun. I do it because it's fun, and I do it because I enjoy it. And it, it's it's uh, it's a good test of, of, the, of the brain, but it's also just a fun thing to do. And I think, yeah, I, I think as time goes on, I think me and and most kind of responsible sports betters are just gonna 
are gonna and are gonna miss betting as much as we as we miss sports. Really, it's the the two sort of go hand in hand yeah. a, a lot of the time. In um, you know, in, in terms of that kind of like, like entertainment driven experience, and um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely gonna definitely gonna miss sport sport more. <laughs> it's, right. It's, yeah, I mean, it's just the. Uh, you know, you're sort of praying something's going to come back in some form. I'm a Liverpool fan as well, so Liverpool getting <laughs> that close to winning the league and not making it is just right. absolutely devastated. So, yeah, there's there's all kinds. Of, and, you know, a, a Welshman and Wales are in Euro 2020 soccer championships. You know, we've only ever been in, like, a major tournament, like, twice. So, yeah, this is huge, but that's been postponed to next year. So, yeah, for sure, uh, it's 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 not hit yet, but it's, it, I think it'll kick in in the next couple of weeks. How are you guys finding it? It it hasn't really started to uh, bother me too much yet. I, I do my when I, the boxing podcast that I do on the side. My co-host is also a Liverpool fan, so I've oh, I, I've, I've heard I've heard that disappointment already. Uh, as a, as a Philadelphian, I didn't necessarily have teams that seemed headed toward a championship at the moment. But I I would say you know it's the 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 drought of having sports to watch is uh hasn't hit me yet but i sense it will soon and certainly i would think if if the if the u.s isn't back on track by football season that's where it goes to another level over here yeah i would just say alan uh i i live a little bit too close to new york city to uh i'm kind of distracted right now so i don't miss it yet but uh, i agree with uh, eric on the nfl season that uh if that doesn't open on time i i I don't think that's going to be an issue, but that would be even more difficult than anything. I do think the NBA and NHL are going to find some way to do something in the summer. It might just be some sort of a, a tournament play in, you know, a knockout game. What It may be last two weeks. Who knows? But I think they'll do something. But um, and I want to ask you, you know, it was kind of a, a fun game throughout the 2010s because I was in New Jersey covering all the uh, – sports betting initiatives and other gambling initiatives that New Jersey does. And uh, so many European executives would, you know, want me to sort of represent the U S and <laughs> explaining why Americans are so skittish about gambling. And of course my response would be, look, I, you know, I'm in New Jersey, you know, we passed the referendum in 2011 that ultimately led to sports betting around the country. Uh, we've had online poker and online casino games since 2013. So, uh, you know, I'm not really a good person to defend the uh, rest of the U S but, uh, as another European, I'm curious as you're, you know, looking from the outside, um, but your thoughts on the, the Americans, it's now a fading reluctance uh, to to on gambling. But at the same time, you know, even in New Jersey, you can't bet on the state's college teams. Uh, and in New York and other states, you can't do sports betting online at all still and, and for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, how how curious do you find American attitudes to be? Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting one from from over here. I often say I feel like I've got Biff's almanac. You know, I just kind of. <laughs> I know what I know what the future is, and because I, I know what's coming down the line, yes. and, and you know, I, I think uh, what's fascinating at the minute from the European perspective is that we we sit over here and we've kind of had, you know, sports betting. Uh, you know, while I while I say it was part of the national culture, it was, but it was always kind of seen as a vice. It was kind of like seeing seen as like going to the pub or having a cigarette. Um, you know, it's totally fine, totally socially acceptable, but you know, it's not something to be celebrated or applauded. It was kind of, you know, it was the thing you, you know, your granddad sneaked out of the house to go and place a bet at the bookies. You know, it wasn't like a bad thing, but it was hardly like, you know, a glamorous and, and cool and, and fun thing to do. And you know, we had that kind of explosion of online betting in the in the, the late two thousands and and twenty tens, and you know, it just became super mainstream. It was everywhere. Uh, everyone was betting. It was, you know, everyone had a betting app on their phone. It's just, it was just absolutely everywhere. Saturation point. Um, revenues keeping on driving and driving and and so on. Huge companies forming and 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 sponsoring teams and buying teams. Um, and then you had this kind of tipping point, inflection point, whatever you want to call it, where people started to go, hang on a minute, there's a there's a downside to this. This, you know, we don't like our kids being, you know, running around with gambling brands on their t shirts on the, you know on their on their on the from their favorite teams. We don't like them seeing gambling ads everywhere they go. We don't like the fact that there's all these problem gamblers and um, you know, people committing suicide and I don't want to, you know, bring a dark tone to it, but you know, this is this is a reality of, of it. You know, this there yeah. is a dark a dark side to gambling and people need to be protected and, and uh 
what you what you see in the US at the minute is this kind of everything is like Europe on fast forward. It's like everything five years happens in a year, and everything's flying forward. You know, um, and you just think maybe there just needs to be a little bit of caution here. That you know, I think possibly some of those kind of roadblocks um, that you were talking about there, John, uh, they might help you. The fact that there mm. there are some kind of regulatory hurdles you have to jump, and there's this kind of inherent reticence to be you know pushed too hard and too fast with it it's probably mm. going to help the industry long term because the temptation is just to rush headlong into it throw money at the situation get as many people gambling as you can for as much money as they can as quickly as you can and that just ends in from the experience of europe that ends in a bad place you know you've got mm. complete ban on gambling advertising in italy ban on gambling advertising in spain and sweden you know all of these countries it's now kind of looked on as a as somewhere between tobacco and illegal drugs in terms of its blight on society in some in some countries. I'm, I'm genuinely not exaggerating there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly viewed more like tobacco than alcohol. Um, and, you know, that's kind of I, I think, you know, it's a blessing and a curse, the situation in the US at the minute. It's, it's, it must be super frustrating um, well, I know it is. You know, the guys I work with at Adams and Crycheck, you know, it, it's it can be quite frustrating the, the, mm. the pace of progress and, and mm. the the kind of crazy amendments to laws that get put in um, that you kind of have to battle against and sort of explain how the industry works and, and why this is not necessarily the greatest idea to have a you know a mandatory thirty percent hold rate or whatever. The but you know you, you kind of. For the for the European perspective, I, I think I think the US is probably developing at the pace it needs to, and I think the the kind of the restrictions and and the idiosyncrasies of, of the market may even help it in the longer term because th- that the rush to just create this big, huge, mainstream neon sign flashing industry that is sports betting with odds tick, odds tickers on mainstream broadcasts and. Gam- deals with gambling firms for every sports team. Eh, I'm not sure that ends so well in the long term, if that's mm. everywhere. Um, because as I say, you know, you, you start tripping over these 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 big issues, and um, you, you tell me, but but you know, the U.S. has a pretty strong kind of evangelical lobby, has a pretty strong conservative mm. lobby. You know, eventually you start gonna start, you know pissing these people off, if you'll excuse my t- language. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, I, I think that uh, American legislators, both supporters and opponents of, of gambling expansion in the U.S., are really missing out. I mean, it's such an incredible opportunity for them to look at the U.K., to look at Ireland, to look all over Europe, as you mentioned, Spain and Italy. And so, I mean, that's an amazing – Australia. I mean, it's such yeah. an amazing opportunity to see what works and what doesn't work. You know, uh, Europe has been the guinea pigs in Australia um, in so many ways. And as you say, some of it has been – very good, some of it not so good. And, you know, each state in the U.S. has an opportunity to learn from all that, try to craft something that's uh, that's making use of all that great information that you, you guys didn't have. You kind of went in blind. And as I say, whether it's a supporter or an opponent, I, I very rarely have sensed that any of these legislators who are, are leading on, on the other side really knows much, if anything, about the European market. I think that's a really missed opportunity. I, I completely agree, John. There's, and there's there's a real issue, and it's not just a U.S. issue. It happens in every market across the world. That everyone thinks they need to reinvent the wheel, um, and ev- everyone needs to think that you know they need to you know completely develop from the ground up their own gambling regulations, and they know their market best, and their market is entirely unique and has a, it will be completely different to all the others, and, and they will understand it better than better than the rest. And you're completely right. You, just, you know, you have a, such a fantastic opportunity to sort of learn from the mistakes that other people have made you'll still make some yourselves sure but you know like yeah but you know learn from learn from learn from these idiot europeans and, and get it right <laughs> there you go <laughs> well uh, it has been uh, fascinating talking to you and getting your perspective alan thanks so much for for joining us on the podcast and uh, please uh, stay safe stay home stay healthy and uh, hopefully you can join us on the podcast again down the road under uh, better circumstances would love to it's been a pleasure guys Thanks, Al. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
one quick update to our bankroll, and this one hurts a bit. Uh, XFL title bets have all been voided, so our $50 to win $500 on the Houston Roughnecks, despite them being the clear class of the league, undefeated at 5-0, ends up simply returning the $50 to our bankroll. So we remain up $149, while the amount on hold in futures bets is reduced to $1,040. And uh, we will do a little bit of betting this week, unlike last week. Uh, And since the last time either of us placed any wagers two weeks ago, uh, John was the only one betting. I guess that means I'm up first this time. And I'm going to make an NFL draft bet. Whatever happens with sports and, and the NFL season in the months ahead, it seems a near certainty that the draft will happen and these bets will get graded. And I like the odds on FanDuel on the New York Jets to draft wide receiver Jerry Judy. They have him at plus 300 to go to the Jets. I'm no college football expert. I'm going to say that uh, right right off the the top here. I uh, couldn't pick Jerry Judy out of a crowd, uh, but I'm uh, going off the expertise of those I've read. Um, And uh, with Robbie Anderson gone, it seems a certainty that the Jets will take a wide receiver in the first round. Even if they trade up or down from the 11th spot, it's not the draft position that matters for the bet. It's just whether Judy lands on the Jets. And it sounds like it's between Judy and C.D. Lamb for them. And Mel Kuyper's latest mock has the Jets taking Judy. Seems to me like anything higher than plus 200 is a good price here. So let's bet $50 to win 150 on Judy going to the Jets. Yeah, I, I think that uh, that logic all adds up. And, and uh, you know, as the experts will tell you it's it's not the team or the player it's the number you know and the number's pretty good plus 300 so yep. um you know first i want to know today's opening day of baseball but uh, or should i say <laughs> it's not opening day right uh, you know, Agent Scott Boris has this bizarre scheme to get in 162 games with a bunch of double headers and a Christmas time Christmas time finish, and I'm not kidding, the, he does, yeah. but that's not going to happen. Um, so my Yankees under 101 and a half wins play, uh, which I made just before Luis Severino got some terrible news on his arm, and Aaron Judge got some alarming news on everything on his body. Um, <laughs> right. I won't get a chance to cash on a real life stellar pick there um, for sure. But uh, now for my actual pick this week, I like DraftKings QB next team specials board. And I'm sure a lot of other sites have something similar. There's some, you know, some big names still out there and not many chairs left after all the music is, uh, has been playing of late. Um, Cam Newton. Um, if you think, as I do, that NFL training camps are going to be a scrambled affair at best, then uh, some teams that might otherwise roll the dice with Newton this year, they might figure there's no time to incorporating him into a new offensive scheme and he's just going to be out of sync and it's not worth the one-year price. Um now, yes, the Redskins' new coach, Ron Rivera, just traded for quarterback Kyle Allen, who replaced Newton for him in Carolina last year. But it was only for a fifth-round pick, which they might be able to get back from somebody else for Allen if they wanted to. Um, and that deal, I think, may have been made assuming Newton would be traded somewhere else for more. So now Newton's a free agent. Redskins have some money left. They have the same offensive coordinator and head coach for Newton. Um, so with all due respect, which I – confess I'm only pretending to have for Dwayne Haskins. Um, <laughs> give me 50 to win 175 on Newton to Washington. All right. I, I like I like the logic there. Kind of makes sense, I think. Uh, reunite him with with Rivera. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, these are these are bets that uh, should actually get graded one way or the other. Yeah, my uh, might be this week. That'd be great. Yeah, could be. <laughs> let's, let's get a result. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Alan Bowden. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, please do your thing and take us out. Well, you know, in light of our conversation, Eric, I'm going to dedicate this to the good folks of Deadwood, South Dakota. A little bit of insight about this whole pandemic for those like them out there, fortunate enough to at least be or at least feel far, far away from it so far. Um, We have a new branch office in Midtown Manhattan. So a month ago, I decided to take a train into the city on a Friday. It's usually a good day for me to do that. Um, I picked February 29th over March 6th um, because that February week had gone smoothly for me. Um, I would say I chose wisely. The first seven or eight NBA players were from four different teams. 
that contracted the virus. All of them played in New York City from March 4th to 8th. Hmm. Um, I also attended Seton Hall Law School seminars uh, in Newark on March 10th and 11th, you know, just before the world changed so completely. Um, plenty of mass transit in and out of New York City from Newark. Um, you know, a lot of people around. Um, I did some elbow greetings, but there were still plenty of handshakes going around at that point. Right. I had a student sitting next to me on March 10th, I looked it up, uh, who was coughing. That's not so great. Um, but now I'm more than 14 days past that too, which is good when you're pushing 60. Um, and I haven't done a marathon recently. Um, <laughs> so I'm still standing. You know, it's a good thing given the crisis in my region. Um, I never was such a big gambler anyway, and I sure as hell didn't want to uh, ante up for this one. So um, on the other hand, you know, one of my former colleagues at the Bergen Record just passed away from the virus uh, this week. Uh, I would say he was a young looking 72, but um, but I'm not going to leave everybody on a downslope like this, Eric, I promise. Um, for those who are going a little bit stir crazy in isolation, uh, just note that one of the exceptions to lockdown, even in a state like New Jersey that I'm in, um, is for exercise. So if your living situation conditions are feasible, the weather is willing and all the caveats, you know, consider visiting a local park and take a walk. Uh, social distancing of at least six feet, definitely at least, which uh, my local park was not a problem um, the other day. Um, and one of the biggest reasons, though, aside from the walking, which is good, is uh, dogs, you know, yeah. as you know, Eric, as you know, Eric, dogs just don't care. <laughs> if anything, they're probably not a lot of them are happier for the extra attention they're getting in recent days. Um, and, and that don't care is really appealing. I, I got to say, um, I sat on a park bench enjoying that kind of scenery. And, you know, one young golden retriever um, uh, notices a reservoir down the hill. And so she jumps her leash and ambles down the young owners, guys demanding her obedience, you know, and of course the dogs slowed up slightly to show some sort of <laughs> pretend obedience, <laughs> um, but then just couldn't resist the dip in the water. So then uh, she came right out and shook the water off her back and right onto him. And so then he grabs her drenched leash and uh, he tells her bad dog while he pets her. And she does that look that dogs learn to do to pretend that they regret doing what they wanted to do all along <laughs> in the first place. Yeah, it was hilarious. It was and it was uh, it was much needed. Um, and are there really any bad dogs? I mean, I think these days I don't believe there are. So if you need a boost, find a dog to watch from a safe distance, of course. And, you know, with that, everybody, um, until next time, check out those NFL draft futures. Be patient and soon enough. Uh, all right. Not soon enough. But at some point, you'll once again be in a position to fully embrace Gamble on. Gamble on.